Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirt Johnson and Eric Peterson. All right, welcome in, everybody, to the Grip City Golf Podcast. Andy Dirt Johnson, Eric Peterson, hanging out with you live at the Sim House. I'm going to get to that in a moment, EP, but I'm making an executive decision, okay? Okay. We're jumping out of the gate. I know you're an executive. I am. I, I, you know, I'm very important around here. I have a very official title in front of my name. Uh, I am skipping episode three, and this is going to be episode four. Because I, I am confused every time we put out a new episode. And we were talking about it on the show the other day. They were like, yeah, it's the third episode, but it's titled episode two. <laughs> and we totally botched that out of the gate. Yeah, but <laughs> our intent with episode zero, our heart was in the right place. It was. Because it wasn't an official episode yet. It was kind of a trial run. But I, I hear you. So I'm just, episode three is going to be lost to the annals of history. And this is episode four of the Grip City Golf Podcast. And uh, we're going. three's an unlucky number. Or exactly. Something. I don't want to do that. Like, yeah. hey, you know, we're just going to skip three. Nobody likes par threes. Let's go to a par four, baby. Let's <laughs> let the big dog eat. All right, I'm in. And this is our back to back week now. We're doing one live at uh, the Sim House owned by Northwest Golf Guys. We are on location again, and this place is freaking sweet. Dude, it's. I knew that they had the Sim House. I didn't know much about it. I didn't even know where it was, but here we are. It's on Northwest 25th and Upshur, kind of in Northwest, like on the edges of the industrial district. So it's it's close enough to downtown if you work around there, but also close to like Beaverton, West Side area, if that's where you are. Super easy to so get here. So location-wise, it's great. And man, now that I'm in here, I'm like, okay, I need to seriously talk to Travis about a membership. <laughs> The simulators in there, dude. They're amazing. You and I were just talking. Like, imagine if you had this in your basement. I'd never leave. You'd never leave. I'd never leave. But this is the sim house. You could have the sim house. That's very true. And I I need to get one of those key fobs. We'll we'll, uh, knock on Travis's door before we go and say, hey, what's it going to take to get one of those studio, maybe inside one of the simulators so we can do the show while hitting shots. We're hitting some seven irons in there, like uh, before and after interviews and all that. Like, it's just, it's so cool. And I'm glad that you're here to get a chance to see it. I've only been here uh, two other times. I think, but it's been a while. And for people, there's a group in one of the bays right now. They're, I don't know if they're playing Pebble Beach, here. like yeah. just hanging out, hitting golf yeah. shots at, uh, you know, a middle of the day on a weekday. But it's just, it's such a cool, unique place. They got their gear set up so you can come by clothes. But it just kind of sparked. We were talking to Travis last week of, hey, let's come out and do a live show. And he, he was willing to accommodate yeah, us. Yeah, so nice. And we've joked with him, although maybe we're not joking, that we want to carve out a little <laughs> spot for us to be here more often. Because I, I feel like not only is it fun to be here, but it gets our creative juices flowing a little bit. We bump into some people. We met Hunter who just started working here. Such a great guy. He was. It just feels like good things happen. You know, I feel like we're at the Cheers bar or something, you know, like everybody knows your name. We're just sitting in the main lobby. So if you walk into Northwest uh, Northwest Golf Guys one time and you see two random slappies sitting in the middle of the lobby, just say hi because you're going to be on the Group City Golf Podcast, right? You could be our next (laughs) guest. So speaking of um, Northwest Golf Guys and Travis, I've been chewing on something since we spoke with Travis last week. And one of the comments that he made about his, like when Northwest Golf Guys was in its early years, it started out as basically a course review website. Mm -hmm. And his belief that I had never heard someone say it this way, but I am totally on board with that, is that every golf course has a purpose, right? Some are meant to host major championships or big tournaments, um, but other courses are like a place that are the best fit to like introduce somebody to the game whether it's your five-year-old kid or maybe a parent who's never played. 
um, every course has a purpose. And I just was thinking about that. And, and like, I sometimes catch myself not really remembering that, that when you play a golf course that let's say it costs 30 bucks and it's not in great shape and, but it's, it's a golf course. You, it, when you finish and someone asks you like, how was your round or how, how was that playing at that course? How'd it go this week? Yeah. Your first answer is probably going to be, well, it was, it was kind of crappy. You know, we had a good time. The beer was cold, but the course was pretty crappy. And like, is that even really fair? You just paid 30 bucks to play there. You know, it was probably really easy to get a tea time. You it, got your bank for a, for it, your like, buck. It, it accomplished what they like thought that you would get out of it. And maybe it even exceeded your expectations if your expectations are reasonable. I guess where I, where I was going with that is that I catch myself and I, let, I bet a lot of people catch themselves looking at every golf course through the same lens that it, is, is it good? Is it bad? Is it really bad? And they don't really kind of look at the whole picture of like, what is the purpose of that golf course? And I just wanted Travis to know that, that he kind of changed my mindset about like when I, next time I play a golf course and it wasn't the most perfectly manicured course I've ever played. Well, what did it bring that I feel like I could take away as a positive? What were the positives it brought to the table? I feel like we're launching and maybe we'll uh, rope Travis into this for our proceeds. I feel like this is a children's book. <laughs> Every golf course <laughs> has a purpose. Like, you know, your, your $8 music track that has goose poop all over the place and everybody's wearing denim jeans or your ritzy country club that you can't get on because you don't know a member every golf course serves a purpose and it's all about growing the game of golf i feel like there's a children's book here so we started off like we are going to do merch sales that we yeah. didn't think we were going to do shirts are on the way baby and then we're getting into like <laughs> we're uh, tea awareness campaign so right. kind of like you know social connectivity awareness like really making an impact helping people now we're getting into children's book publishing. <laughs> Look at that, man. Well, the do tentacles it. to this thing, <laughs> I, never thought, I never saw it coming. You're trying to get a little cubby made here at uh, the Sim House where we can put up our, our, our T-shirts and stuff. We'll throw our kids' books in there, too. I do, before we uh, get to what we're going to talk about on this episode, I you... I, I disagree slightly with something you posted on, at Grip City Golf on Twitter. You went a little too far here, okay? Now, look, I'm all for T awareness. You know that. We, we ranted about that on whatever it was, like episode two slash episode one. It was all confusing, but whatever episode it was, you uh, did a can we get an amen for recommended, recommended tees by score. Blue, 80 and under. White, 81 to 90. Uh, gold 91 to 100, and then the red tees 100 plus. And I got to tell you, buddy, uh, I had some buddies and some other friends that saw this tweet, and they were sending to me saying, hey, next time we play, I'm going to play from the gold tees. And I'm like, oh, hell no, you're not. So which one of those tees do you disagree with? Because the under 80 blue tees, does that seem fair? I would say, uh, I would say like 83 and under. I'm going to give give me three more strokes. close. I think if you're in the low 80s, uh, you should be definitely playing the Blues. Okay. If that's your, like, normal score. The one that is the most egregious is the Whites. Yeah. Like, if you, I, I think that the White range is, like, 84 to 104. You know, like, okay. you just need a wider gap there. Uh, and then Gold's what, you know, then you're, like, are we playing the senior tees here? If I'm shooting 115, can I go play the ladies? How's this going to work? So, I, as you know, I'm not really a Twitter guy. I didn't really get into it until we started this. And I've learned really quickly that, the most fun thing about being on Twitter with you and having this joint venture 
is posting stuff and seeing what you'll think about it. So like <laughs> I like I'm sharing it certainly for our followers, sure. but I'm also doing it to be like I wonder what Dirt's going to think What's about this. What's the reaction going to be? <laughs> and I was not happy cuz I I got a golf trip planned for Eagle Crest in June. We're playing like a tournament style kind of thing, and immediately it made its way into the group feed like, "Hey, I'm playing from the gold tees. You said this is the tee awareness, right? This is what we need to do." Maybe now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, we can go in and edit the post and hey, we can change the what those actually should change be. the numbers up a little bit. I like it. Well, go give at Grip City Golf a, a follow on Twitter, and uh, you can see the stuff that Eric's going to post on there. We got a really cool episode. So this is the first time we've gone back-to-back weeks. Excited for it. It just lined up that way. So coming up in a bit on the podcast, we're going to have Zach Lacey on. He's the GM out at Persimmon Country Club, former superintendent. We asked the, with horrible cell phone audio question, but why? There's a new segment, new audio. We're learning. We're learning, step-by-step, step, okay? It's brick-by-brick. Brick. We're getting there. And well, we thought the question was relevant. It's valid, and I actually had people text me and DM me like, hey, here's kind of what the reasoning is. And I thought, you know what, let's get, as we talked about on the last episode, somebody who knows what the hell they're doing here, a superintendent, a GM. So he's going to come on and explain all that to us. And then we're, we're going to start, though, with Robert Wargren, who is the owner, CEO, founder, the, the only person behind Olin Golf. And, and you've known Robert for a long time, and I know this is one that was kind of up your alley. When we started thinking about Portland companies, you wanted to have him on the pod. Yeah, for sure. And w- like when we started this initially, it was we, we wanted to be super focused on stuff going on in Portland. And obviously what's going on um, on the golf course with tournaments and, and venues and things like that is important. But there's also a lot of businesses that, that have roots here. And Olin Golf um, started by such an awesome dude, Robert. I mean, he's he's not... Uh, a golf industry insider. He is legit. He has his life. He just loves golf. And um, he just thought, you know, there's a there's a need out there for cool stuff like this. And it's the kind of one thing led to another. And it's turned into like, this is a legitimate side hustle he's got going. So fun to talk with him. So he's going to pop in here to the Sim House. We're going to get his headset on and uh, let's chat with Robert Wargren of Olin Golf. We'll send out the links for you on Instagram so you can get a look at his product. Robert, first off, Thanks for sitting down with us, man. We're excited about this. Thank Firing you. these at you. Quick get-to-know-you questions. Here we go. Home course, handicap, driver, irons, and putter. Wow. All right. <laughs> we, we start a lot hot. to throw at you right now. Go. <laughs> well, all right. I'll say home course is maybe East Orland because it's the closest to me. Okay. So uh, handicap is 9.9, so just under. Just recently went to single digits, so <laughs> it's a big one. For That's me. a really dangerous net handicap, by the way. If you yeah. play in a member guest <laughs> yeah. and you're a nine point nine, That's yeah. tough. Look out. Yeah. Uh, driver, uh, Ping G four hundred. Had that for a while. Still love, love it. it. Have it too. Nice. Uh, <laughs> irons, uh, Ping I two tens. Nice. Like those. And I've had the same putter for a while. It's Scotty Cameron Newport too. So. I mean, those are all money right there. Yeah. In, bring it in, guys. The Scotty family. Hey, Scotty hey. family right here. Hey. Nux. Nux for the Scotty family. I love it. So let's let's find out more about Olin Golf. So how how did this come about? Like, we're looking at the product. He brought some in today. It's it's so cool to see. And I, I hope all of our listeners are going to go check out the Instagram feed so they can get a look at it. But how did this come about? How, how did you launch this? Yeah. You know, it's pretty wild. Um, during the pandemic, so this was a little over a year ago, uh, March of 2021 uh, was kind of the initial launch of it, but uh, I started sewing in October the previous year. Uh, my mom had an extra machine. My sisters and my mom were sewing masks, you know, during the pandemic. And uh, one of my sisters was suggesting that it might be something I enjoy doing just kind of on the side. And I had, you know, been buying, you know, Seamus covers and all kinds of covers and 
just figured I'd start and see what happens. So, um, were you making them just for, did you think you'd just make them for friends and family? Totally. Like initial thought? Yeah. That was the initial thought is that I would just kind of play around and start making them and giving them to friends and family. And our good friend, Matt, I was with him on the course, uh, one day and <laughs> he's just like, you know, you should really think about maybe trying to sell these. And I honestly had not really thought about it. And, uh, so from that point, I, figured maybe I could. And around that same time, my stock rangefinder case broke and I was struggling to find something online that was a replacement. So I think I bought something off Amazon, <laughs> just like, you know, almost looked like a Bushnell rangefinder case. And that thing broke pretty quickly too. And so I was like, I, I got to just try to make something. Cool. So, um, yeah, so like around, I think it was February, uh, I went to Bandon with Matt and some other guys too, and I tried out a case that I had made. It was uh, similar to kind of the first version that I had done, and um, I just figured, you know, if we're, people are buying these head covers and kind of customizing their sets, you know, per their liking, you know, why can't we do that with a rangefinder case? So that's kind of what sparked the initial launch, and then my goal was to, for that first month, to release one thing every day for that first month. and One so, every day? Well, like, yeah, one head cover or, and I, I re the first releases were the rangefinder cases, but oh. then kind of just started doing doing head covers as well. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. I, <laughs> I just, I, I was not tied into social media really much at all. Uh, Got to learn how to use Instagram. Yeah, like, I mean, the whole e-commerce thing, like, all of that was just a huge learning curve. Uh, but I just figured I'd do it and see what happens. And so, so. you, so Matt kind of plants the initial seed yeah. and you're on the golf course when that happens, right? And yeah. I, I have yeah. always believed that the best ideas start on a yeah. golf course with your buddies, especially Absolutely. a golf idea, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so. Matt kind of plants that seed. Then you start thinking about, okay, let's do this. So yeah. what were some of the, the challenges that you maybe didn't think of? You were like, oh, geez, I got to like open up a store. I got to yeah. like ship stuff. I got to accept payment. <laughs> you know, like I would imagine there's a lot of little details. What were some of the, the little things that you're like that were surprising to you? Yeah, I mean, initially, uh, luckily my brother-in-law is in, uh, he's a graphic designer. So he helped me with my logo. That was kind of like step one to be like, Hey, I'm doing something. Yeah. Uh, I still hadn't purchased like labels, none of that. Like I barely was really even trusting that this was going to work, you yeah. know, like hesitant to put too much into it. You know, uh, I'm an engineer, so I'm kind of like cautious and don't take too much risk. So this was kind of a big step, but, um, yeah, I mean the, the other challenges for sure was just navigating Instagram and that whole platform. You know, I, I hadn't, really done much on that at all. I rarely even looked at it. And, and then also the e-commerce uh, sites and things like that. I started out with Etsy and quickly realized, you know, their fees, it just wasn't worth it for me. A lot of my customers were coming through Instagram directly. So, so it's just, like you were bringing the customer in, but then they'd absolutely. go over to Etsy and Etsy would take a commission. So absolutely. it's like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Their fees were more than, uh, you know, Shopify, would charge, you know, for transactions. So I developed my own website through Shopify and uh, kind of switched to that pretty quickly after. So do, do you have like, is this full time? Do you have a part time job, a full time job? <laughs> like how does, how do you fit all this into your schedule? Uh, it's pretty wild. So yeah, I mean, 
I am a structural engineer, so my my day job is definitely pretty demanding. But, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And it takes a lot of my time. But initially, you know, I started this during the pandemic and just figured uh, I was teleworking. So I had time, a little bit of extra time just from not driving into work. So in the mornings, you know, I'd get up at five and do sewing for like an hour and then, you know, an hour after work. And so that's kind of transitioned into a little more, you know, with some more sales. But, um, yeah, it's definitely not my full-time gig, but sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> That's what the, the tough balance is, I think, just making sure that it continues to be something exciting and fun. And that's I, what my goal, I think, really is, is is to have it be a good creative outlet and not something that I'm relying on for income. It's just I think that might dampen my creativity a little bit on it. It's but. interesting that like golf has really benefited from COVID where it was one yeah. of the few activities that you could go out, like social activities you go out and do. And now we're learning that even a golf business can benefit from the COVID effect where you were <laughs> able to kind of reassess your, your daily schedule and find a little, uh, little sliver yeah. of time where you could work on stuff. So how yeah. often are you getting hit up for, for head cover? And, and, and is it like a constant day-to-day thing? Is it a week to week? Like how does that process go? People send you a DM on, on Instagram and they're like, Hey man, can you make this for me? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I've, yeah, I'll make new things and then post those on the website for purchase. Uh, but definitely have a lot of custom order requests and then, I've kind of created a special section on the website uh, specifically related to conversions where um, it allows me some time, like I'll deconstruct an item and take a picture of it. Of uh, It's not a fully assembled item yet, but it's like a example of what it's going to kind of look like, the pieces that are going to be contributed to it. And so that allows me then some time for them to purchase it and put it in the queue. And then six to eight weeks out, you know, is when I will deliver the product. So gotcha. it allows me time to kind of schedule and fit it in. So how, how often it, does someone come to you and say, hey, Robert, I have this idea for a cool head cover. I'd like you to use this product. Yeah. And then is that kind of how it works where they yeah. kind of give you the creative direction and then obviously you put your expert craftsmanship on it? Totally. Yeah. It, it Multiple ways. So there are some customers that already have an item where they may um, just ask me, hey, what could you make out of this? And wow. so they'll send me a picture. And so what, and are, then, what are those examples? Like something from their baby <laughs> book or something? Or? <laughs> Random stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've mostly have been focusing on like uh, converting bags and things into rangefinder cases or covers. So um, I've shied away from like some jersey conversions and clothes conversions because there are, I've seen some other people doing those things. And so I've tried to focus on more of the bag conversions and things like that. So like if a customer has an existing bag or item, uh, you know, they'll send a picture of that and then I'll kind of like deconstruct it in my head. Maybe I'll ask for dimensions on the item and then, uh, yeah, just kind of work through like these are the options that I could provide you and then work through pricing. And kind of pick from there. So are are you from the area? Like are are you, were you from the Portland area? I am. Yeah, I was born in Bellevue and then my family we moved down uh to Westland when I was in second grade. Okay. In second grade. And you've and always been into golf or was it a later in life thing? Uh kind of later in life. So I grew up in Westland and in high school um yeah, I mostly just played team sports my whole life. So Soccer, baseball. He was a good basketball. baseball player. I know. Okay. <laughs> was he like all league in high school? Uh, Let's talk about so the yeah. glory days. No. Did you make your Letterman jacket into a club head cover? <laughs> no, you should, you man. Put that I in the bag. I don't know if I have that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so I, I didn't really golf much growing up, but I remember playing like a couple times at like the LO Muni course and things like that. But uh, I worked at Oregon Golf Club my se- or sophomore year of high school on the grounds crew, which was pretty wild because my first day I went out there and I'm like, I don't know what to do out here. And so the the my boss was like, you see that sand and that seed there? Mix it together you know, put it in the Cushman or whatever those, you know, <laughs> carts are, go out to fairway one and just fill divots down the fairway. So I had to walk <laughs> up and down, zigzagging the fairways, filling divots one through 18. That was like my job for the week. And how did that go? Were you pretty tired at the end of the week? <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was as a sophomore waking up at like 5am. Like I'm really surprised I did that. Yeah. Like now, no problem, but you know, then, that's a grind for a 16 yeah, year old kid, like, man. But I mean, up there, the views are just unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. And so you've, you've loved golf kind of, you know, since high school age Yeah. and actually dirt and I were talking on our last show about how golf is a great outlet to play sports just in general, yep. kind of scratch the itch of playing a, in a competition Yeah. that um, golf, you can play it so much further along in your life. Has that kind of been your motivation to kind of scratch the competitive itch playing absolutely. a sport, but then do it through golf? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I was in college at OSU, I, yeah, I, I took a course called like golf on tour or something. It was like, that's a class at OSU. Class. Why, yeah. why, why do we have that I, at Oregon? Yeah, man? I know what the hell. And, uh, we literally, the class was, you go play around per week, like at different courses around that area. Are you kidding me? No, it was unbelievable. <laughs> so that kind of like that's the coolest class ever that, uh, yeah, that was a good elective choice on my part. <laughs> uh, at U of O, it was like ballroom dancing. <laughs> yeah, like, well, like the pool. Like, come yeah. on, what are we doing here, man? So, uh, yeah, that was kind of when I started playing. And um, I did work at Langdon Farms in high school as well, but I never really played much. And then uh, once I graduated college, started playing a little more and then realized it's something I could do for a long time. And it was been a challenge. I mean, cause I am super competitive. So like tempering expectations and trying to make sure, you know, I, I realize that it's something I'm choosing to do. You know, it's like <laughs> golf is humbling. You know, it, so, it is. uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We have Peter Jacobson on, and that's what he told us. He said, remember that on the course, you choose to do yeah, this yeah. when you're getting upset. So, I mean, you start this, uh, you know, kind of COVID kicks off, you're making mass, you turn into rangefinder covers, club head covers. You're up to like 5,000 followers on Instagram. Are you surprised at how, how quickly it exploded like if i would have sat you yes. down before all this and was like dude you're gonna have five thousand yes. followers what would your reaction be i, I wouldn't believe yeah. yeah yeah it's it's pretty amazing i mean it's all it's organic more, growth on instagram yeah right? yeah yeah i mean i paid for a little advertising but that was pretty early on and uh or promotions i should say i guess through instagram but uh yeah like day 20 in i had converted a dop kit for a friend of ours matt and uh and a guy at his club, and they wanted something that was, you know, Jordan elephant print. And so I found a dop kit, you know, on eBay, and I just bought it and figured I'd try to make some out of it. So made that rangefinder case for them and posted that, and it got reposted uh, on a site that had a lot of followers, uh, golf heads. And I was like, I had no clue about reposting and all that stuff on Instagram. And once that happened, I just started gaining followers, and I was just like, what is going on? <laughs> so your stuff <laughs> was getting shared by someone who had yeah. a big following. Yeah. It was like they had like 170,000 
followers or something. You said this like, was 20 days into when you yeah. kind of started? Wow. Right. And so then uh, I just started getting flooded with requests on uh, recreating it. And then um, I was talking to Matt about it. He's like, you better buy all those DOP kits you can find. <laughs> so I was just like still in the mode where I hadn't even bought uh, labels yet. like To, to put, put your on, brand on yeah, it? Yeah. I, I mean, so I was like, okay, this is going somewhere. I should really start thinking of it a little more seriously. So, uh, yeah, so it's just kind of morphed from there. And but I just appreciate all the support. It's been a lot of fun. And so here we are, but like a year and a few months into it, and you've grown really quickly. Do you have an idea in your head of what this might look like three years, five years from now? Yeah, I've you been probably got to start hiring people at some point, right? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's like a struggle of where, what the next step is. Um, I've never done anything like this before, so I'm still trying to figure that out. But I'm definitely at a point where, you know, I'm having to uh, turn away or not. I shouldn't say turn away, but postpone customer orders and things like that. And uh, people have been great about, you know, coming back and things like that. So uh, it's definitely at a point where I might consider hiring somebody to help with part of the manufacturing. Uh, it's either that or just maintain it at a smaller level uh, and have it be something that, you know, I just continue doing myself, but not kind of an increased uh, point. I, w I would <laughs> imagine that, like, while it's a, a blessing to have a lot of business, like, more than you maybe feel like you can handle, yeah. but that's also probably the hardest part about it, right, is sort of Absolutely. managing expectations, yeah. managing what you can take on. Yep. Has that been something that you've had to kind of groove with as you go along? Absolutely, yeah. I always consistently think of it's like the uh, saying, you know, it's, a blessing and a burden, you know, it's, it's both. I mean, such a blessing to have this or people be receptive of what I'm doing and appreciate it. And then, but on the other hand, you know, I really did start this just kind of as intended as a side project and, uh, just as a good creative outlet. And so, uh, it's a balance, it's a tough balance, integrating that in with my life and with, my work life. So I, I feel like that's leading into the answer for the next one, but what is, what's the most enjoyable part of it for you? And then what is the most challenging and frustrating? I imagine yeah. that's the most <laughs> challenging and frustrating. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, initially just navigating the whole platform and yeah. starting a small business that was challenging. Uh, I feel like I'm in a really good groove with all that now, you know, develop, developed really good spreadsheets and things like that to track everything. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, moving forward, um, yeah, sorry. What was the first part? Just of that the, the most enjoyable part. Oh, of it enjoyable, for you. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the creative process for yeah. sure. Uh, I my job, you know, I can be creative. It's just a different type. But uh, with this, you know, it's really fun for me to kind of just uh, see a pro a product or a product and just deconstruct it in my head and try to see like what I can make out of it or seeing fabrics that I find, uh, you know, at Pendleton or, and mix matching those and things like that. So do you think you'll get it to a point, Robert, where you'll have stock where you'll, you'll build 50 of a unit and then put it up there for sale? Or do you think you foresee yourself keeping it that really hyper custom kind of approach to it? I really like the hyper custom or kind of a, a large variety of items. I mean, I personally really like a lot of variety. Uh, it's kind of how I am with music, you know, always finding something different and new, and that's kind of how I'm doing things with Olin Golf, just trying to create things for a wide variety of people. Uh, but it's still all things that 
I like myself. That's kind of what I've been focusing on from the start is I'm trying to make things that I really like myself. I mean, there are a lot of things I work with customers on and what they would like, but it's still got my influence and I'm, you know, giving them ideas to consider based on what, you know, I think uh, would be good. So wh- where did the name come from? What's the backstory of Olin Golf? Yeah, so that's actually my middle name and it that's is... A, that's a strong middle name. That's a really it's good middle strong, name too. Yeah, I know yeah. it's something I've always been proud of. Um, it's actually a name of an island uh, kind of on the southeastern coast of uh, Sweden and it's where my great-grandfather uh, came from and he immigrated to the northwest uh, in the early 1900s uh, and so that name was given to me kind of as a an ode to our heritage and that's awesome um, so cool yeah my other great-grandfather's from northern Sweden uh, in Ornskolvik which uh, yeah so a lot of a lot of good Swedish heritage a lot of blue so. and yellow themes in some of your club head covers <laughs> there's a few yeah this one that I brought in that's one I kept for myself so. yeah that's cool but, do you uh, do you follow like Henrik Stenson is from Sweden like is there any way you could connect with him and make that connection yeah, I should yeah because I mean, like if you could <laughs> to me nice. like that would be the ultimate is if you see your head cover on a tour golf bag yeah and it seems like Henrik Stenson would be right for the pick in there I don't know uh, what his arrangements that's are that's another but. level yeah that's the next step. There you go. Can I, can next I be two your to three agent? years. Can I be your agent? Eric's yeah. going to grow your brand, man. I love <laughs> yeah. it. We're going to get there. So people yeah. can go follow it at Olin Golf. Now, what do they call, because there's two like characters above the O. Yeah, those are umlauts. Umlauts. So, you didn't know those were umlauts? I did not know yeah. those were umlauts. And yeah. I'm actually like 98% Swedish, really? so I should probably know that. I think it's with the umlauts, <laughs> it's pronounced Owland, I think, is kind of how you say okay. it. But, I mean, my, my the spelling of my middle name is with no umlauts, but sure. um, I added those. because I, I mean, you got to. It's flavor. Good. It kind of makes yeah. you stand out yeah. a little bit. It looks really totally, cool. Yeah. So we love to close these with what we call the driver off the deck. Okay, so we're, we're going to fire some at you. Quick, you know, question, quick answer, first word association, whatever you want to go with. Sure. What's your favorite golf course in Portland? Ooh. Or the surrounding yeah, area. Okay. You can kind of, you I'll know. I'll say if it's surrounding area, Langdon Farms. I always really like Langdon Farms. I think they do a good job keeping that course in good shape, and it's pretty open. Uh, I used to have a tendency to really spray my drives around, so that always helped me there a little bit, but. <laughs> Uh, I tend to do that too. <laughs> yeah. I think we little, all do, right? Squirrely. Yeah. I love th- a lot of the holes at Langdon. They kind of like have like a stadium feel where yeah. if you hit it offline, it, there's a chance it can roll back and at least yeah. toward the middle. But. It's funny when I worked there in high school. We uh, I worked player services, so part of that was like dealing with the range. I'm not. This isn't really a quick uh, answer. Oh, you're <laughs> good. Yeah, you go. We're podcast man. There's no commercials. It's funny because <laughs> we used to. Uh, there's no sides on that range, so you could just spray them off into the hills. That's true. I've hit a few there, on the first hole and the whatever is the tenth or whatever. We used to go out there and just take a club and just hit them all day long off. <laughs> well, not all day long, but we'd go up there and hit tons off. We'd get in trouble because we weren't supposed to, but. That was super fun to <laughs> go out there and do that. It's a good way to kill time. That's better than filling up divots oh, up yeah. down fairways, right, that for eight a, hours. That was an upgrade, <laughs> yeah. What about the most underrated course in Portland, one you think doesn't get enough credit? Well, I'll say personally doesn't get enough credit is for me is Eastmoreland because I used to traditionally hate Eastmoreland. <laughs> I think a lot of people do because they shoot a so high score. Hard, so hard. But I've been playing it more, and I've grown to appreciate it more. Uh, just – the challenging shots, you know, using different clubs. And uh, so, in, in my opinion, for me personally, I think Eastmoreland. How many, how many times has the driver, the squirrely driver, come out of the bag at Eastmoreland? 
twice, and that's twice. too, too many, <laughs> probably. Yeah. You go play with somebody like Eric. He's yeah. striping four irons 250 right, yards right. down the I, middle. You're I like, just you think, bastard. when in doubt, put the driver away and hit four. <laughs> just hit yeah. fairways, okay? I'm pretty sure when we played there once, you and I, you asked me to join you to play against these two other guys, and I think you even told me, you're like, maybe you should put the driver away. <laughs> <laughs> just let's leave we were losing, bag, and yeah. I just was like slamming my clubs, just looking like an idiot. And <laughs> like, just hit five iron. Yeah, just get it like, in the fairway. Okay. Uh, yeah. What's the one course in the Portland area that you've never played, but you've always wanted to? Uh, good question. I think Waverly. I've never, I haven't had a chance okay. to play there, but that's something that, you know, you drive by on the other side, and you always look at and want to see a little mystique but when yeah, you drive by sure. it what if you just went in there and introduced yourself you can drive in there there's no gate and just took a head cover in there and put That's it on there idea. on the i'm telling you dude i can be your agent <laughs> okay like, say if you heard of olin golf how about a free round out I'll here at waverly yeah. i'll just make get a out of the car and for you. just wave yeah. the head covers <laughs> as i'm walking to the just make a waverly club head cover <laughs> I mean, take it in and sell yeah. it in the pro shop and like all kidding aside i mean it's a it's a premium item and so it, it seems like it would look great oh, in their in their shop and I, I just wonder yeah. that that if they'd be interested in that so what about the funnest round you've ever played doesn't have to be mm. portland just one of the funnest rounds you've ever played oh, i have two maybe i'll i'll pick two so the first one uh that comes to mind is the first time i went to bandon uh the first round at pacific was brutal and <laughs> i think we only played two rounds that time it was like 2008 it was a long time ago and the second round was at Bandon, and it was like December 5th or something, and it was beautiful. I swear it was like 60 degrees. They can get some of those days and down there. when we were walking down f number four, and then you just see the ocean, you're like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I swear we took 1,000 photos. Like, we were holding up everybody. Like, it was unbelievable. And that was like for the first year to go there and have that in December, it was like That's cool. un incredible. But. Yeah, just recently, in uh, this, the day after Thanksgiving, um, I played with my mom at a par three course in Redmond, and she hadn't played in 10 or 11 years, and we just decided, let's just go play. So we were like, we'll just play nine as a par three course. And she birdied the first hole. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa. You like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then on the fifth hole, I got my first hole in one. <coughs> With her. And oh I just was gosh. like, it was incredible. Like, I I will always remember that. It was incredible to share that with her. And especially, yeah, it, the day after Thanksgiving. It was pretty, pretty cool No time. offense to Pacific Dunes on a sunny day, but that, that, that one is pretty cool. That yeah, it, it was unbelievable. I had to call a couple of people be like, is this legit on a par three course? Like, <laughs> Does this count? But yeah. It, yeah, it was great. It, was it great. counts in our book. What's the fav your favorite head cover that you ever owned? It might be Oland, maybe it's not. It could not. be Oland, yeah. Well, I'll I'll pick something other than I made. So, for a long time, I used, uh, sometimes still do, uh, a houndstooth Seamus head or hybrid cover. I got two of those, and I those complemented with everything, and I just use those all the time. So I'd say probably that. Okay. How many head covers is too many head covers? <laughs> Ooh. If somebody asks you to make iron head covers, do you turn them away? Please tell me you say <laughs> yeah. no. Okay. I'm not venturing in that direction. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, we don't planning. need more of those in the game of golf. <laughs> <laughs> so was your question related to on your bag or owning at one time? I yeah. think my, I was thinking owning yeah. at one time. 
Because uh, people own like 50 many. pairs of shoes. Yeah, never, but like, never, no. never too many. Okay. You got to be able to cycle through. What kind of mood are you in? What, what season is it? You got to be able to rotate in I'm and out. I'm making head covers. Why would I say there's a limit that you should <laughs> Don't buy more than five. You're supposed to promote. You're, you're to his promote agent. Me. You're Everybody right. should own 150 yeah. head I was, covers. I, did, I didn't Damn know if there was a number yeah. in his mind of where it becomes kind of insane. Because yeah. you know, like, we have some friends that collect shoes, and like once it gets to like 50, you're like, bro, like that's I, a lot. I will say I've had some customers... I'm not even kidding. They've bought 10 rangefinder cases from me. Yeah. Golf accessories. That's we, wild. I mean, we haven't even really gotten into like the golf accessories yeah. in, like business is like just taken off really in the last 10 years and people yeah. want custom. They want unique. They want something that kind of helps them yeah. kind of feel like they have something special. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's because of companies like yours, because people are doing it now. Like yeah. it's you can see it. And it's like, hey, I don't have to grab the stock green leather one that you buy at Dick's Sporting Goods. You know that just everybody else has. Yeah. Like you can get something cool and unique that makes you stand out. Totally. Uh, what's the coolest shout out that Oland has ever gotten on social media mm. or elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, I think I alluded to that that first one that I got twenty days in. That was pretty that was special because I. That, that kind of validated. It's like, okay, I've got yeah, something here. That made me feel, yeah, like it was, there was some validation there that I was at least onto something with the rangefinder cases. And just to have that exposure, especially with somebody that, you know, was so established on Instagram and uh, be willing to repost something that I made that I literally just learned how to sew like four or five months ago. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I mean, you're kind of, I think opening up a company like this, especially where you're hand making things, you know, you are really opening yourself up to criticism or, you know, everything. So you're a little vulnerable in that aspect. So for having uh, someone like that to repost, that was pretty special. That's awesome. Well, dude, thanks for coming on. I mean, you're, what you've done is inspiring to me and um, we're lucky to, that you wanted to come on here and we love talking about, cool stuff that people are doing in Portland and, and you're certainly, you certainly fit that bill and we wish you the best of luck going forward. And hopefully we can put a few more head covers in the arsenal. <laughs> yeah. I'm not opposed to it. Well, thank you. Yeah. You guys are doing a great job here and I really appreciate you having me on. So one last one, where can people, so on Instagram at Olin golf, yep. uh, in, in, where else people can find you? Yeah. Olingolf.com. Okay. Uh, and yeah, direct message me on Instagram or there's a way to uh, email me through the website. Perfect. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So last week, Eric, we were talking on our But Why segment, our new But Why. Why? 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 But why do golf courses aerate? And uh, we're a couple of idiots that don't know the answer, although I did put my spikes on the bottom of my boots and I aerated my lawn this weekend. I still can't (laughs) picture you doing that. I want to see surveillance video of you walking around your yard with your airification boots on. I mean, I just moved in two weeks ago, and I think my neighbors were looking at me like, who's this alien that moved in on our blocks? I'm squishing around my front lawn. So we thankfully have somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about who's going to help us out here. Zach Lacey is the GM, the general manager out of Persimmon Country Club, a former Former superintendent, he's on Twitter at ZLacy underscore uh, Turf. So, Zach, first off, thanks for for hopping on the pod, man, and giving us the insight on this. We're idiots. Uh, you guys just aerated Persimmon last week. Why, why is this a thing that golf courses need to do? Yeah, thanks for having me. First of all, I'm going to need those boots back with those spikes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everyone's always asking that question, right, from golfers to anybody. You know, they, they just get mad that we're closing the course for a week and we're beating it up right when the course is getting nice, weather's starting to get nice. Uh, you know, there's a lot of important things to do. You know, as you're getting out of the wintertime, you get to spring, 
you've had a lot of compaction with golf. You know, everyone's walking on the greens. You got a lot of foot traffic, cart traffic on the fairways, just kind of beating it up. So as you get that compaction, you want to be able to release that once you get into the really busy season. So, you know, when you're doing core, core aerating or uh, solid tining, the idea is you're disrupting that thatch layer that's been created. So basically there's a layer between the soil and the grass and it's an accumulation of organic matter, basically. So, you know, a product of fertilization, watering, cultural practices, and you want to get rid of that because then the second that you prolong that and it sits there all summer when it's supposed to be nice, you want those fast greens, there's going to be spongy, they're going to be slow and no one's going to be very happy about that. So, um, yeah, you, what you want to do is you want to do that air, aerating. You want to add that sand in there. The sand helps keep it smooth, keeps it quick, helps with water retention and then dragging that into the holes and letting it fly. So, so, so Zach, the most airification happens at least in the Northwest around the same time of year. Is there a reason why it's done in April? Right. So as you usually see in the spring and April, you know, in the fall can, can vary based on the weather. Sometimes it's September, sometimes October. Uh, you want to get done in those shoulder seasons because you have your maximum growth potential during those times. You know, if you look at like a line graph, you'd see a big bell curve kind of going up and down throughout the year. And at that point, you've got the least amount of stress. You're not getting super hot temperatures in the summertime, stressing out the grass when you're beating the crap out of it. And then you're not in the wintertime where you're not growing at all. So when you create those holes in the wintertime, you're not going to see as much growth as quickly as you'd want. So doing it in the spring, doing it in the fall, yes, you're beating it up, but it's going to have the quickest uh, regrowth rate. The, the only stress and hot temperature <laughs> going on in April is the, the, the golfers that want to play because they just saw everybody at Augusta <laughs> like dirt. He right. comes in and he's like, I hey, just want to play go, golf. Baby. And, and you just have to t- kind of take it as a necessary evil, right? I mean, what, what oh. would happen if you – didn't aerate one year. I mean, I would imagine that the the effects of that would be slow going, but we know that it's important, but why is it something that just literally has to be done every year? Yeah. I mean, it's important just to stay on top of it. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like, if you look at your lawn or your house, what are the three important things you want to be doing every season? Once you start seeing the sun come out, you want to be fertilizing, you want to be mowing, you want to be watering. Those are just the basics. Right. So when you look at a golf course, this is just added into that program. It's something that, you know, we, we put so many inputs into the golf course, whether it's different types of fertilizers, fungicides, uh, herbicides to control weeds, all of that in the constant mowing, right? Like you guys don't mow your lawns every day, but we mow our lawns every day on the golf course. And so all of that material just kind of lays there in the grass if you're not picking it up and it accumulates and it gets spongy and you're, you're constantly battling the masters, the U S opens, people see this on the TV, right. And they're like, why is it my golf course that I play at every day looking like this? Right. And so in order to try to come as close as you can to match those expectations, this is one of the things that really helps with uh, maintaining it from year to year. So, I mean, it, it helped for me last week, at least as a member of Persimmon, because it was terrible weather. So I, you know, that was like the, the consolation for me. It's like, all right, well, at least I probably wouldn't be golfing anyways. How Does that make your life, like, miserable when it's pouring rain? Does it make it easier? <laughs> like, what was that like for you guys last week? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was brutal. Um, you know, ideally, when you're trying to do that, you're trying to punch holes, you're trying to move sand around, you know, 
if you go to the beach and you're kicking your feet in the sand when it's dry compared to when it's wet, you're probably having a little bit better of a time, right? <laughs> right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, the process definitely gets a little trickier when it's raining like that, you know, moving the sand into the holes becomes a little more difficult, but you know, ideally what we'd want is some really nice weather during the week. You know, once we get to the end of the week, when we're getting ready to open the course, we just want to see a bunch of rain come down and wash that sand into those holes once we're all done dragging. But, you know, as a superintendent, you're constantly battling Mother Nature, and sometimes you just got to take what you got, right? That, that's where you'll see a difference in uh, response rate, like how quickly sometimes you'll see a course, you know, sometimes it takes only like a week or two, and all of a sudden it's back to normal. And then sometimes they take a month. They're like, oh, what's going on here, right? Well, I think the story that's been told is, okay, what did it look like during that week that they were doing it, right? This is less of a, an airification question and more of just a, an agronomy superintendent question. You, you mentioned sure. like when people see the masters on television, they get this image in their mind of what golf should look like. Right. <laughs> and I would imagine, but I want to hear it from you that that that's gotta be one of the most frustrating parts of your job is managing expectations, certainly at a private club too, where you have members that you want to get to know. Is that, is that one of the toughest parts about your job? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, there's, there's some really great clubs out there, right? There's the, all the courses on tour, all the ones that you see on TV. They're, they're incredible. And, you know, you look at a place like the Masters where you don't see a blade of grass out of position, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's always a challenge, right? People, that's, that's what people want. That's what everyone wants to, you know, when they leave their house and they put the clubs in their car, they're like, okay, that's what I want to see. So, you know, it's, it's always a challenge, but at the same time, it's balancing, you know, expectations, you know, especially at a private club, laying it out the line of, okay, this is what we have. This is the product and constantly reminding whether it's membership or public courses that, you know, we're always constantly looking to improve. We're, we're always trying to meet the expectations that we're trying to provide for them. Well, it's nice. I, I played on Sunday, and I got to say, I, I wish you aerated the greens more because they're too fast for me, and they slowed them down a little bit, and I really appreciate that. So if we can get like an every other month aeration, that would be great, and my handicap might go down a little bit. Now, Taylor asked this on, on Twitter. He wanted to know, what's the treatment that golf courses do that home lawns? Like, what should we do at our house? That you, I know you kind of mentioned it with the watering and the mowing and, and all that, but what, what are some of the things that we should know? And I'm, I take my lawn care very seriously, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jot these down. What, I, what should I be doing at home? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think a common misconception is that people say, okay, it's springtime, I'm going to fertilize my lawns, and then I'm good for the year, right? But really, what you should be doing, mimicking what a golf course does, is called spoon feeding, where you're constantly putting down fertilizer throughout the year, you know, every three weeks or every month, rather than all of it all in one lump sum. You're going to see a much better response rate throughout the season, and you're going to get a better growth potential. So, you know, spoon feeding you know, your MPK. So if you buy a bag of fertilizer, you've got those three numbers on the front, right? Just go out there and get a balanced bag, um, put out somewhere around a 10th of a pound of nitrogen. Every time you go out, make sure you're irrigating, make sure you're mowing. And then that's the recipe for success. You know, a lot of the times when people aren't fertilizing throughout the season, they're saying, Oh, well, my, my grass is turning yellow. It's not thick. It's not lush. I'm just going to water it more. Right. Well, that's not the that's not what you should be doing. That's the wrong. You need to have a balanced attack to try to have healthy turf. So um, that on top of you know something that a lot of homers can do if they've got landscaping companies around, you know HOAs 
you'll see them out there dethatching, which is a process of getting rid of the thatch. Instead of coring, it kind of slices up the, the turf a little bit, gets rid of that excess thatch, and they'll see a lot better improved health in their turf grass. Interesting. Um, I, I would imagine you don't want your lawn to get too good at home because then you'll come home from work and people will be like hitting chip shots in your front yard because it oh, looks yeah. like a golf course. Oh, yeah. You should see my lawn. I'm like the epitome of like, you know, when the plumber gets home from work, they've got terrible plumbing. That's my yard. You don't steal any of the mowers from the club and like go mow a green in your backyard or something? Come on, man. No, I just, I- I just spray painted green. <laughs> I love it. Zach Lacey, he's a general manager out of Pacific Country Club, former superintendent. Give him a follow on Twitter, at ZLacey underscore turf. Well, we're, we're idiots. We had to ask the question, but why? But why do courses all over the area do this? And now, now we, we know. Now we know. So thanks for the time, Zach. We appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hopefully it helps. Well, now we know. That's why I walk around in my front lawn with uh, some big spikes on the bottom of my shoes. Uh, it, it works, baby. You got you to aerate your lawn. Have you I, aerated your lawn yet? I've never, never. <laughs> done it before. Let's get you out there. Come on. I I do think that walking around in some FootJoy classics would be fun. (laughs) And if you can also take care of your lawn while you're doing it, you know, you're doing two things at once. It's a win-win. So there we answer the but why question. And thanks again to Robert, man. He was great. And getting to know uh, kind of more behind his company. And go check him out on Instagram, his website. Like, the, the, the product is amazing. He brought a couple in here to the Sim House for us to take a look at. Just, it's so cool to see somebody who has a passion for the game of golf that launches something and it turns into like within 20 days, as he said, he's getting shared and it's like, Oh my God, this is a thing. And I, I got to run a company now. Well, And like creating one product that lands and gets shared on social media kind of has a viral effect, so to speak. That's one thing. But the fact that he's been able to like improve, iterate, improve, like keep launching new stuff that tells you that the, the, the product is really quality. And he brought some in when we talked with him. And it's like legit nice stuff. Really it's cool. It's not just a flashy thing that no one's ever done before. I mean, head covers, everyone's had one before. So in order to get into the head cover business, you know, you need to ha- be unique and it needs to be well-made. And it certainly checks both those boxes. I, his next step, if I were him, like make some for some local courses, put those up in pro shops. Cause I'd sell the hell out of that. Yeah. You get like a band and dune special one that they're throwing up in like the clubhouse at sheep ranch or something down there. Yeah. Be really cool. Awesome stuff. Great local company. Go check them out. Buy one. Give them, give them a minute and then go buy one of his head covers because he's got a lot of orders he's got to fill. And it's just one man running a sewing machine. So give him a second. <laughs> and they'll get your, uh, get to your order. Uh, let's close up with a, a new edition of our favorite game, the new, the, the fan favorite on this podcast, But Why. Let's get to a new edition of But Why. So last week it was why uh, do we compare ourselves to professional golfers? And we're no longer going to do that. That's our PSA for the episode. And why, but why, do we aerate? Now we know the answer to that. What do we got this week on um, but why? So, Dirt, I've been wondering, and this one really pisses me off, okay? And I haven't told you about this. I don't know where you're going. But this one really strikes a chord with me. Why do golfers, when they finish their round, think about and talk about, honestly, all the putts that lipped out? (laughs) Right? You hear somebody say, like, if you ask me how was my round, I'll probably say, Oh, I shot 78, but gosh darn it, I had six lip outs. No one ever talks about the putts that lipped in. Hell, lip is lip in isn't even a word. It's, it's not, not even, even a, a thing. Term. No. You never talk about that four footer that you know you pushed right off the blade that it catches <laughs> the edge of the hole and drops in. Okay. It probably shouldn't have gone in, but it did. Why do people only talk about the lip? Out. They never talk about the lip-ins. I'm going to connect this back to where we began today in our new children's book, 
why every golf course matters. Okay, all golf courses matter. Uh, this it's more of a it's a positive or negative mindset thing, and I think it's a great example of how when we finish rounds and even during the course of a round, you focus more on bad shots than you do good shots. You hit a good shot, you're like, all right, that's what I'm supposed to do. Exactly. Damn it, I stuffed that to five feet. But you hosel rocket one off the tee box, you're going to let it affect you for three holes. Why is that? We're more focused on the negative. When I ram one that's a 25 footer into the flag stick and it pops up and goes into the hole and if not for the flag stick it probably would have ran off the green i'm not walking to the next hole thinking god that was a lucky putt i'm just walking to the next hole thinking this is this is what i'm supposed to be doing we need to be more positive on the golf so course. imagine if after your round i asked you how your round was a more positive answer and honestly probably realistic reasonable answer would be for you to say i shot 76 you're not going to believe how many good kicks I got. How many? I hit a tree on 13 and kicked into the fairway. <laughs> or I had, a, I had multiple three-footers that I know I hit them too hard, and they just hit the back of the hole and dropped in. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. Nobody does. They man. talk about what score they shot and how it should have been better instead of I shot this score, it could have been worse, but it was actually this score. Very easily. A 78 easily could have been an 83. And I feel like most people are generally positive people in their life, yeah. but they, for some reason, are negative about their golf game. I feel like it's because, going back to some of the stuff we talked about, where we're playing sports older, and it's like one of the few things that we continue to do. Whenever you watch a PGA Tour event or YouTube videos or whatever the case it looks so damn easy. Yeah. Like when you see it, when you just watch a highlight of Rory McIlroy rounds, it's like, God, he just 295, 310, right down the middle fairway. Boom. Inside 10 feet. Boom. Drain a birdie. But like, it's such, it seems like it's so easy to yeah. do. Whereas like, if I'm watching baseball, I'm not like, I, I could catch up to 98 miles an hour. Like I couldn't do that, yeah. but I feel like I should be able to do that. Cause I play golf. Why can't I replicate that swing? Why can't I get to that point? Uh, we just, we have too high of expectations. And this has been a good lesson for me because you're calling me out on things that I do. First off, it was the score at Augusta. Oh, I could shoot 107. Like, no way in hell I'm shooting 107 at Augusta. Should have slapped me in the face when I said that. I played on Sunday, played in the evening, little twilight round at Persimmon. Nice. Course just opened back up. Weather was nice this week. And I'm like, dude, I got to get out and play. We finally got sun in April. What exactly. Five wettest Aprils of all time. The weather blows. And I, I uh, whizzed around, got done in three hours. Great round shot in 82. I'm always good with an 82. It's a nice. good round for me. You know, the first thing I thought of when I finished my round, Missed a six-footer for birdie on one. Missed a seven-footer for birdie on 12. Just close, you know, within an inch of going into the cup. Missed like a four-footer for par on uh, 14. I missed an eight-footer for birdie on 16. Like, that was where my mind so was going. So it should have been 78. And I think that some or of that, easily, like, I mean, a couple of lucky bounces, I could have easily been an 86 or an 87. And so, that, like, listen, I'm all for, like, thinking about, like, how you can improve next time, right? Which is maybe kind of where your mind was going with all those opportunities that could have been better. And so you're using that as a way to, like, if I can just button those up, I can get better. So right. that's a positive thing. <laughs> I just think that people make excuses for what they what score they shot instead of being grateful that they was even that low. Yeah. I think that those, those damn lip outs... I just feel like people, they, they talk too much about that stuff. And I just don't know, understand why people do it. Well, now, I'm, instead of focusing on missing the six-footer for birdie, I'm going to focus on how I put myself in position to have a six-footer for birdie. There you go. That took two tremendous, that took a great tee shot and a great approach shot. I'm inside 10 feet, giving myself a chance. What more could you ask for, we right? We should be mental game coaches. <laughs> I think that's our next forte. Hey, just remember, every course matters, okay? 
Every course matters. I love it. Lesson of the day. The children's book's going to be out soon. <laughs> uh, thanks again to Robert Wargren. Uh, thanks again uh, to Zach Lacey, both those guys for hopping on. Thanks to Travis, who's hanging out. He's up in the uh, the cat studio up there uh, above us, kind of looking down like uh, home improvement Wilson leaning over the fence. He let us do the show live from the Sim House. If you haven't checked out the Sim House, just get get here, Come, especially with how the weather's been. Like, if you're not a cold weather, wet guy, you don't like playing in the rain. I looked at the forecast. It's supposed to be wet for another week. Like, Is it really? Dude, come play Pebble Beach, okay? How about that? Come play, you know, in any kind of famous course you want, and you can do it right here at the Sim House. And when you do, call me, because I want to come, too. I want to play. I want to play Pebble. I want to go, go play there. So thanks again to all those guys for uh, for helping out the pod. Thank you for listening once again. Uh, Grip City Golf on Twitter. Go give us a follow. Coming up next week, we're going to try and go three weeks in a row. We're... Uh, we're upping our quota here. So we're, I don't know I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, but we'll see if we can pull it off. Uh, Matt Lemon, one of the guys behind Jones Golf, excited for that one. We're going to go over to their offices and chat with him about Jones Golf, a company that I think everybody in the area knows. I think I'm excited for you to meet him. He's a super cool dude, really good golfer too. I know people who who know him, not not you, but I got another buddy who he always brags about knowing the Jones Golf guys. Like he's like a big it's a big deal. Jones Golf's a big deal, man. You know, Matt, so Matt's a good <laughs> friend of mine and you'll appreciate this. He is a really legit good vibe visor guy oh he rocks okay. visors like tall the tall tour visor does he's jones a, rock do they guy. make visors at oh, jones heck yeah okay maybe i can try to keep a couple on and see if they fit my head maybe we can do a fitting when we're over there with seeing him <laughs> i'll put out like four pictures at grip city golf of which visor fits me the best because i want to be visor guy man i want to be in the visor club i just get my head's fat and small i'll so help I can't you man I, i'm gonna support you through this <laughs> okay it's a difficult time but i'm That's gonna right. help you team visor and then uh, we're also efforting a uh, you know a statement and a guest from the liv folks so you continue to reach out and grind on that aspect we're getting more information. We'll have more on the LIV next week. We have we hammered it pretty heavy last week, uh, but efforting a guest from the LIV folks, and we'll see what they say. And and there's a lot of information out there now. In fact, an article was just published this. Well, timing wise, well, it was recently about recently um, came out. Yeah, yeah. About um, there's been some more players who have committed. We don't know who what their names are yet, which is kind of weird. But um, there, there's been some traction there for the tour in general. What we're efforting on is more information about the event that's happening at Pumpkin Ridge because I think at the end of the day, that's what we want to be able to learn more about ourselves, and we want to share that with you guys too. The local angle, what's going to happen at Pumpkin that first week of July? It sounds like maybe the tournament's actually going to go on. They got are golfers now. I don't know. I don't know if I'm in town. I got to figure out my schedule. I might. Like, if I'm around, we should probably go out and check it out a little bit, I guess, maybe. Hopefully, we don't get banned before then. <laughs> I want it to happen, dude. I mean, like, seriously, some of the stuff that we've talked about, maybe you could be construed as poo pooing it. Sure. I want it to happen. Eric's I, on board. I just, I, I want to play in it. <laughs> you think they got any spots left? I'd love to just be involved in it any way we can. I could go throw up a couple of 98s and take home a million bucks, dude. That sounds like a great weekend. I'm Would you in. quit the podcast if you became a millionaire? Yes. Damn. No, I wouldn't. I'd quit my normal job and keep doing the podcast. Okay. Yeah. All right. I love golf that much. I can't stop now. If you play in the tournament, can I caddy for you? Hell yeah. Absolutely. And we're both going to wear visors. Okay, we'll be the team visor out there. <laughs> I love it. With our Olin golf covers, dude. Look at us, man. We're all, all over the together. map. Uh, well, that will do it for episode four, executive decision, episode three. Four. It's lost. Episode four, four was great. We had a lot of fun. Next week, episode five, baby. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Grip City Golf Podcast. And no, Until next time, hey, go low out there. <laughs>